The following content is sponsored in partnership with Haymarket Media U.S. When we think about meeting customers where they are with the needs that they have at any given moment, we start to think about patients as consumers and thinking much beyond what we could potentially deliver in a specific moment of time of treatment and think more holistically about them as individuals seeking wellness. And I think that's exciting because it means possibilities are endless, right? And so we can start to create sort of these unexpected collaborations. CES. It's the annual Las Vegas show billed as all things tech. Spread out across multiple venues and lasting several days, the convention boasts enough consumer gadgetry to fill several football fields, and then some. There's a sea of new products, some of whose potential is more obvious than others, but therein lie some very promising advances for patients. The trick is seeing through the haze of marketing hype. I'm Mark Iskowitz, editor-at-large for MM&M, and welcome to this sponsored podcast with BGB Group. Today, we're going to look beyond the glitz and glamour of CES to uncover whether any of that consumer tech can help healthcare better meet patient slash consumer expectations. And here to guide us through that endeavor is my special guest, Anna Gaudio, SVP of CX Innovation at BGB Group. Hi, Anna, and welcome to the MMM Podcast. Stoked to be here, Mark. Thank you. Absolutely. Great to welcome you. So healthcare is in the midst of this push and pull between a product-centric model and one that's more patient or customer-centric. We still find ourselves in a fragmented customer experience, one that ping-pongs between sort of meeting customer expectations and unrealized capabilities. And this divide became more apparent during CES, where, as you put it, Anna, the headwinds and tailwinds of healthcare change came to life in a big way. So before delving into these deeper questions, for the benefit of those who haven't been, would you mind giving some background on CES? Yeah, absolutely. And up until really 2020, I was new to CES. I had never attended before, didn't have expectations. And actually, my arrival in 2020 to CES was very well-timed. That was when I felt digital health started to have this really large presence and became one of the more exciting industries to watch at CES. So we really saw that proliferation of digital health, meaning everything from remote monitoring all the way through to telehealth and any sort of at-home or even aging systems, anything that could help you make your life better through technology. And so when we then moved into the pandemic world, which was fascinating for all of us, right, we became very reliant on technology. So we saw this really big sort of deluge of materials, technology solutions in that 2020 and 2022 timeframe. And then I actually took a pause for attending until this year. So it was neat to be back to see how some of those themes and trends started to uh, mature and develop, where we saw also other um, sort of players come to the forefront as well. So CES is across industries. Um, Digital health has a larger and growing presence. And it's one where I think this year they had 130,000 attendees. So Vegas absolutely becomes the geek central (laughs) of the world for a week. Um, And we all get to really nerd out on all of the newest technologies and capabilities across industries. 
Wow, 130,000. That's amazing. That makes yeah. the, the 50,000 or so who are in San Francisco for JPM, you know, look small in, in comparison. Uh, but, um, <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned, you know, kind of sharing the space, all these kind of different, you know, verticals. You know, you have, uh, you know, a lot of digital out of home uh, and advertising formats that kind of make their debut there. Mm-hmm. But side by side with that is digital health, which is not really obviously an, an out of home advertising format. But, you know, these technologies kind of really do have the potential to help uh, the, the individual understand more about themselves um, and, and perhaps, um, you know, foster, you know, uh, better health. And so we'll get into that in a second. Just uh, one more, uh, you know, sort of background question. What's the city like during CES? <laughs> I, you know, I'm not a huge uh, Vegas attendee generally. I don't live too far from it now. Um, but it is nice to just be able to follow everyone with the CES tags. <laughs> really, Vegas became part of the exhibit this year. We really saw this spirit of energy and lights and glam um, really infused within different exhibits, whether that be small um, startups all the way through to the larger tech giants in the world. So Vegas really becomes the supporter (laughs) of technology. And it feels like the spirit and the energy is absolutely transported through everything you see from the sphere, right? So everyone was in love with watching the sphere and what it was going to do next, all the way through to the conversations that you overheard at the the watering hole afterwards around the latest technology. So CES kind of has its heartbeat um, and definitely changes to be one energized by technology. Right. Yes, you mentioned the sphere, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those who don't know, that's this, you know, basically digital out of home, if you will, tower, you know, that looms over 18,000 seat uh, Las Vegas auditorium. Um, and it itself, you know, can show, you know, advertising. And I think it, it, uh, it takes it, the ads that show on that take advantage of kind of immersive and mm-hmm. uh, t- types of tech technology. So there's a lot of straight ahead kind of advertising plays there as well, which kind of adds to the, the glitz and the glam and the hype. <laughs> uh, so let's delve into, um, you know, our earlier questions. How did we see customer expectations reflected in the latest technology? Yeah, I think there were a few areas in particular where I was mesmerized by how technology let customers lead the next developments. So if we think back to uh, when Google Glass, right, first emerged, however many years ago that was, it was pretty quickly rejected um, by consumers, didn't know how to use it, it was too far-fetched. Whereas what we saw this year at CES was a lot of evolution in extended reality, including things like AR glasses, become the norm. So it became much more consumer technology um, focused on enabling more immersive and engaging experiences on the go, which is exactly what, you know, something like Google Glass may have set out to do years ago, but now that's becoming more of an accepted reality. And so we saw this sort of shift in how customers engage with technology being the lead. Um, And then from a strictly health standpoint, we saw companies like Withings um, or Vivu or Neurologics really start to redefine how they develop their technology. Withings, obviously, with remote care, they have a plethora of at-home smart devices that allow you better insights on your health. Vivu is an at-home urine test that allows you to track your wellness over time. Neurologics is a scanning technology. They have a few different products, but they're scanning technology for different health factors. So you start to see 
customer insights leading the way. So if I, as a consumer, am demanding to understand my personal health data, the technology isn't just about telling me that information, it's doing it in a really human way. So things that I'm already doing in my daily life are becoming smarter. And so I love to see that human behavior be the lead to technology adoption. And so from a CX standpoint, that was certainly a breath of fresh air this year at CES. Interesting. Yeah. And also we saw with Apple, which is refusing to use any other term for its soon to be released Vision Pro headset other than spatial computing. You know, that's what they're calling it, right? They're not calling it Mm -hmm. AR, you know, VR or mixed reality anymore. So would you say that, uh, you know, that's a kind of a a similar reflection of this kind of relevancy imperative? You know, these other terms are, are taking a step back and Apple's just kind of trying to make this more relevant to people's lives. Absolutely. I think that that infusion and the blurring of lines between when I use technology and when I'm doing non-technological things, right, is just becoming transparent. And so we as customers expect that the way the technology in sort of intervenes in our life doesn't feel like an intervention. It feels additive and it's improving our experience. And so it's nice to see that tech companies are understanding that that empathetic delivery of technology and the experience that it creates is something that's imperative for adoption and actually creating change. And when you think about healthcare, that's what we're all after, right? Is better outcomes, better health. And so the more that we start to blur those lines, tear down those walls between when I'm engaging with technology and when I'm not, um, really the better we can kind of nudge the right direction of behavior. Absolutely. Tearing down those walls, right? Mm -hmm. One of the sort of symptoms of you know, the healthcare system not meeting customer expectations is this whole kind of inability to kind of integrate with people's lives, you know, and, and mm-hmm. force, forcing people to put everything aside in order to say, take, take their diabetes, you know, shot or, or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, test themselves, you know, or the whole sick care, the whole healthcare system is oriented towards sick care versus well care. So you know, I think as, as those walls come down, it'll be easier, you know, there, there'll be less friction for people to get mm-hmm. and maintain their health. That's kind of the idea. Are we solving deep human needs uh, or simply making things because we can, you know, so it's that depth versus breath, mm-hmm. push and pull, which you take there. And this is something I think we always as individuals who work in this industry have to ask ourselves all the time, right? Are we creating something that actually solves a human need or are we creating something because we can? (laughs) And because now, you know, what can be imagined can be created. And I'm still struggling when I look at the list of what was exhibited at CES, how to answer this question, because I saw some really beautifully created and delivered technology that allows us more in-depth insight into our own health and even pushes us in the direction of advice, which before has been sort of an area that hasn't been chartered when it comes to non-healthcare professional related advice. So I like seeing that direction. Other items though, I do think that there's this deep concern around privacy. And are we considering whether the information we're providing to patients or us as consumers generally is going to lead to improved outcomes or is it going to create this information without context and action? And for a lot of people that can create fear and it can cause worry where it might not be needed. And so those are the types of questions around trust and access. And am I able going to be, am I able to do anything with this information to improve my outcome, um, knowing when it's best to bring in a professional. And so that's something that it's a 
it's a question I love. It's a question we all need to ask. And it's one that I think as we continue to think about what 2024 and beyond looks like in healthcare engagement, um, one that all of us as professionals need to be asking is, are we creating something because it intrinsically addresses a human need? Right. And we saw that kind of with the mirror. I think there was like a smart mirror that, mm -hmm. you know, was great in terms of being able to um, track and detect all of these vital signs, but it doesn't have any connectivity, you know, besides the individual, uh, right. you know, beyond the individual. But I like your point that all of these different types of uh, in-home tech are are trying to meet the patient where they're at, you know, in terms of mm -hmm. things that are easy to to measure that a patient is passively doing anyway. You know, like there was, I think, right. you know, uh, you can tell me better than, than I can, but a there was a laptop camera, right, that was able to kind of mm -hmm. track all these, you know, meaningful, um, you know, diagnostic criteria and had connectivity to the healthcare provider, which can inform a telehealth visit. So we see that tech companies are making an effort to meet patients where they are. How are companies evolving their products, services, marketing, and sales experience? experiences to customers' mm -hmm. context and needs. Yeah, and I think this is so dependent, right, company by company, but there was one overarching trend that I was so encouraged by at CES, and that was this focus on aging, aging tech, aging solutions. ARP historically has had a large presence at CES, which has been, again, unexpected, but delightful <laughs> because you don't necessarily think of ARP as being this provider of emerging technology, but they also understand their customer. And so this is where, when we think about how generations are going to continue to age and experience and define aging. I love to see their collaborative where they brought together tons of different companies addressing different facets of aging, whether it was around menopausal management, right, and different symptoms there, fall prevention. They had Tembo Health, which focused on care management for those experiencing dementia and support for caregivers. But they also had a company called Artifacts that is essentially like a Pinterest for nostalgia. So you can create images of your favorite items and um, save those memories in a way that's really visual. So we started to see this, again, meeting customers where they are, thinking about the context and evolving needs of a customer and how we can go from health to health to health <laughs> throughout the decades. And I love to see that. And especially as we think about aging boomer population who are much more digitally savvy than the generations before. How do we use VR therapy to think about how they can age gracefully and engage and continue to relate to family members? So that in particular, that story around aging, very much fostered by AARP was one that I love to see. I think from a marketing standpoint, we're seeing a lot of partnerships continue between the smaller startups and the larger giants, whether that be pharma, biotech, whatever that might be within life sciences. And I think that that also speaks to understanding where your customer is, right? So how can we pull in insights around different demographics, different customer types, different disease states, and really think about how we can meaningfully address their needs throughout their experience with a condition? Yeah, really, really interesting. Um, I hadn't really explored uh, those, but the, the connections that, that are made are amazing. Like, you know, Instacart, you know, working with supermarkets to mm -hmm. um, make, uh, you know, AI powered recommendations to people shopping carts. I'm not sure how, you know, relevant those recommendations <laughs> are or, or how wel welcome they are uh, when people are already inundated with ads in the supermarket. Uh, but like, or Audible, the podcast company, you know, doing a, a, a collaboration with Amazon and Mercedes Benz you know, to bring, you know, audio to the dashboard. Uh, those, those are really exciting and interesting. And you know what, Mark, I think one, one point too, that absolutely brings home that idea, right, is that 
we don't as consumers identify ourselves as patients. And so we are not constantly in this state of um, identification by disease state or by treatment. We are living our lives and <laughs> the treatments that we undergo happen to be a part of that. And so something like grocery shopping or, you know, we saw a lot of um, automotive technology, those things that are lifestyle related all of a sudden become part of a wellness story. And one that when we think about meeting customers where they are with the needs that they have at any given moment, we start to think about patients as consumers <laughs> and thinking much beyond what we could potentially deliver in a specific moment of time of treatment and think more holistically about them as individuals seeking wellness. And I think that's exciting because it means possibilities are endless, right? <laughs> and so we can start to create sort of these unexpected collaborations. Absolutely. I've, I've been, I've had, I have a prescribed condition. I'm in the supermarket, the shopping cart knows my shopping history mm -hmm. and it sees what I'm tossing into the cart. It knows I need to you know, have a, a sort of a diet maybe for whatever prescribed condition I have. And it can, can help me right. to, to that end or those kinds of things. Lifestyle. Absolutely. hundred percent. Mm -hmm. Getting back to these digital health technologies that you, so eloquently, you know, told us about earlier, you could see the potential for helping people who have poor healthcare access. What are we seeing in, in the realm of improved access, whether it's addressing the digital divide, geographic barriers, inclusivity mandates, et cetera? Yeah. And this is a really important question because technology has this unique ability to create both chasms as well as bridges, right? And so um, with every new technology we create, we really need to, again, consider that access barrier and what is inclusivity actually mean? What does equity actually mean? And so as much as technology has this potential, we need to make sure we're leveraging that potential and asking ourselves those critical questions. And one thing I'm continuing to see, although I do think that there are companies who are really striving to meaningfully address inclusivity is this word democratizing access. And I think that's one of those phrases that I see overused and perhaps doesn't mean what the companies think it means um, around actual equitable access. And so when we think, like you said, about that digital divide around access to technology, smartphone ownership versus ability to use or geographic barriers and thinking about Wi-Fi coverage, you know, we make assumptions based off of an individual who might live in an urban setting, but that doesn't always apply to someone who lives in a rural setting. And there are certain companies that I saw that were um, what I think starting to make meaningful strides. One was called Galleon. And frankly, I don't know much about population health management, but they had an offering that allowed larger population management at the government level around seeing trends and addressing those needs in real time. And so more, um, you know, sort of sector related as it comes to regulatory, as opposed to a consumer facing technology, but something that could potentially meaningfully address that need for access and equity across health provision. There was another called Proxy. They actually pitched during a digital health startup innovation competition, which I love to see. And they're really focused on adding visibility to data-driven intelligence, meaning I as a consumer or um, my caregiver could see my health information and very easily share that with different providers. So especially when you think about people who may have multiple conditions, that information fallout um, and access to information could be detrimental to how they're experiencing their health. But of course, when you hear both of these potential solutions in different realms, you still have to think like, but does everyone actually have the potential to access and benefit from these solutions? And so that's one where when we think of 
regulatory and compliance and larger systemic level changes to the health industry. I'm excited to start to see some of the larger players like an Amazon or a Google come in and start to push the boundaries of how we can share information and create access. We're not quite there yet, but I'm starting to see sort of the glimmers of hope for how different companies are attacking those problems from different angles. Absolutely. And then, you know, speaking about, you know, sharing of patient data and the trust issues therein, Mm -hmm. I wanted to, that's a perfect segue to to our next question. On the horizon, we definitely see that that's uh, the next step is, you know, sharing data in a compliant way, in a privacy safe opt-in way. What role does trust play in moving the industry forward and whose responsibility is it for trust building? Mm -hmm. So the easy answer, right, is that it's all of our responsibilities for trust building. And this applies to each and every one of our customers, right? So how we're developing medical education and serving up content to physicians, how we're providing cost-saving models and population management for payers, Um, And of of course, from a patient standpoint, how are we allowing them to self-manage their own data? And I just heard a lot of the sessions, so less so in the exhibits, but in sessions, I heard a lot of talk about trust by design and how are we actually developing materials, solutions that intrinsically build trust. So privacy, security being foundational to how all of the technology is structured, to how information is captured. And you could see snippets of this throughout different exhibitors. There was technology that immediately upon taking a picture, secured it through blockchain. We saw secure patient medical information sharing. So we saw little pieces of it. um, And those are the types of companies that when you think about them from a foundational standpoint, building trust, then once you have that trust, it's imperative you don't break it. (laughs) And so making sure that that constant communication back to your customers and doing so in a really literate way, regardless of whether they are reading pages upon pages of update and security information, really thinking about what does user experience look like when it comes to not just establishing trust, but maintaining it over time. Yeah, nice. That that is the uh, the next chasm to cross, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, trust mm-hmm. trust building. Let's talk about the future. You know what, what our next steps are here. Um, how does what we're seeing at CES, what we saw there, and you know, kind of converge with other twenty twenty four predictions as you know companies strive to meet the patients where they are and uh, you mm-hmm. know integrate more with patients' lifestyle. How, how does all that lay groundwork for progress? And I think it's funny because at CES, it's essentially a conglomeration of a bunch of futurists, right? So all of us hoping that we get a glimpse into the future that then gives us even more foresight into um, how we're going to evolve and develop over time. And, you know, going into CES 2020, I wasn't expecting a month later to go into lockdown. (laughs) But what we then saw um, in the next few years was, was absolute progress. So this year, what I really noticed was that we were seeing incremental changes and improvements to technology and capabilities that already existed. Right. So we're thinking about how does artificial intelligence start to make us smarter and more efficient, more accurate, um, alleviating burden within the healthcare system. However, there's also very little regulation around that that exists right now, right? We're all sort of catching up with the technology as we go. And so I sort of hinted to this in the last um, question. I am hopeful that some of the larger giants who are starting to get interested in a piece of the health pie, like an Amazon, Google, even CVS and Walgreens who have already been playing in the space, 
them coming in um, and having meaningful interactions with regulators, with decision makers, to think about how the system as a whole can adapt to improve health. I wouldn't be surprised if next year at CES, we're continuing to see incremental improvements, right? So nothing that might be a giant leap, but instead thinking about that connectivity and how do we actually create that seamless experience that we've been talking about, that our customers expect, that when we think about lifestyle and health engagement, it actually becomes much more interconnected and we've blurred those lines. So it might not be the sexiest idea, right? Thinking about how regulation and requirements and quality assurance are revolutionized within health, but considering how big this ship is to steer, <laughs> it's one that absolutely needs to occur. So I am hopeful that the, the future for this year and next year is actualization of a lot of these capabilities. And therefore it'll set the stage for really intrinsic what I would call infusion into how we engage with our health. Nice. Yeah. Perfect word to sum, sum up the conversation. And you, you have to think that retail really is, is part of the future of, of figuring out health, you know, given the fact that, you know, we might not all live within a short distance of a hospital or a medical center, but all of us live within a short distance of a CVS or a Walgreens or a Rite Aid. Absolutely. And that, that retail space, we see healthcare, you know, making inroads, primary care, making inroads into that space, you know, the Walmarts and, and the CVSs. So, to sum up here, you know, many of us, if not all, at one time or another have experienced the fragmentation that plagues our health system, whether it's literally a lack of connectivity or interoperability among various stakeholders, poor customer experience with appointment booking, lack of transparency in the drug supply chain, the cold clinical nature of acute care. I could go on, right? On the flip side, we've got Amazon making inroads into primary care and the long-awaited potential of the Amazon effect. We have Mark Cuban's cost plus pharmacy promising transparency in drug pricing. We have all these digital health startups targeting various points along the healthcare journey and aiming to make them more human. So as you point out, the progression of the healthcare industry from a product-centric model to one that's customer-centric is an intentional, albeit sluggish one, and the glimmers of hope, as you put it, you know, whether those are women's health tech companies or senior tech with ARP, you know, meeting patients where they are, that's, that's cause for optimism indeed. Those who have any questions can email Anna with their CX questions or contact her through MMM. And uh, to that end, I hope that we can have another one of these conversations as uh, healthcare gets better at meeting customer and patient uh, expectations, Anna. See you at CES 2025. <laughs> See you there. <laughs>